Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Wheelchair Activist. This is a podcast hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, where I talk to some amazing disabled people and some amazing allies of the disabled community. Today, I have my second international guest. We have the host of the I Can't Stand podcast, Peta Hook. She is joining us all the way from Australia, and I'm so excited to be talking to her about her amazing career and about what is it like being a disabled person in Australia. So let's hop into this conversation. Disabled people are 40% more likely to own their own businesses. Access and equality really has a long way to go. How many people with a disability who walk out with degrees that actually get access to the level of employment that are dictated by their qualifications? Oh, well, Pessa, thank you so, so much for joining us on the Wheelchair Activist. I appreciate you coming on so much because, as we just mentioned, it is Friday night where you are, whereas it's Friday morning for me because you are in the wonderful Australia. I am in Melbourne. Basically, we could get further if we tried. Absolutely. Um, If you wouldn't mind... Can you tell our lovely podcast listeners um, a little bit about you and what you do? So, hello, everyone. My name's Peter Hook. I have several palsy. I have my own podcast called the I Can't Stand podcast here in Australia, and I'm a disability advocate, um, but possibly in a different way. I am really interested in educating non-disabled people on what it's like to live with a disability, allowing them to ask questions that they might feel hesitant or unsure of and really allow them to be the friend in their ears that's guiding them through that isn't judgmental and there's no wrong question Um, because I know, and I'm not too sure whether you agree with me, Emma, but So often people with disabilities are required to educate non-disabled people over and over again. And I just kept thinking there's got to be a more efficient way. So this is my way of helping. And I also get to talk to other people with disabilities to understand what disability is like for them. So I'm learning too, which is so much fun. Isn't it though? And I really love that aspect about my podcast because I get to learn from so many different people about what disability means for them and what it looks like and how it manifests in their day-to-day life. And one thing I love is getting to learn from different types of disabilities and different disabled people because I think it's so easy when you are disabled yourself to think that you're an expert on disability, but we only know our lived experience. Um, I'd love to know a little bit more about your podcast, like what prompted you to want to do it. And I just, I, I love the name, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's so funny. A friend of mine who's known me for years and years said, your name of your podcast, which is I Can't Stand, it really doesn't make sense to me because to me you can do anything you put your mind to. But uh, really for people with disabilities, you might understand that while we often overcome many challenges that we have in life, I think it's also important to 
illustrate the things that society doesn't allow us to do and how access and equality really has a long way to go. And that's where I'm really passionate in regards to my podcast because, as you said, Emma, you know, we're, we're two people sitting here on a podcast with a disability that in itself is pretty revolutionary. 20 years ago, we wouldn't have had this opportunity. So I'm very passionate with my podcast to ensure that many disabled voices are heard and people feel that they are able to be educated on what it is like to have a disability in many different aspects. Because as you say, just because I have cerebral palsy doesn't mean I understand what it's like for anyone else. I only know what it's like for me. And I I really feel like a broken record at times because I'm constantly just reminding people, yes, I've had this disability from birth. I don't know what it's not like to have a disability, but at the same time, our experience can vary so much even within the same diagnosis. So I'm always really open to learn. I completely completely agree. I think it's so interesting. And I talk about this a fair bit, but in terms of recruitment for jobs, one thing that really annoys me is when um, recruiters or employers will ask for the named condition uh, that you have, because I don't know if that happens that much in Australia, but I've seen it a bit in the UK. And I just think that really tells you nothing about the person because, you know, I've had more than one guest on now who has cerebral palsy and the way that it looks like in all of you is so different, but on a bit of paper, your condition name is the same. Yeah, completely. I always, in in myself, I, and yes, just to answer your question, Emma, I've never heard of that before. Um, As far as employment, you, you know, um, I, I don't think it's legal here in Australia to ask whether somebody has a disability. Um, in some job applications, they say at the bottom that they welcome a diverse community and that includes people with disabilities. Now, I don't know whether in reality that's as effective as we hope it to be. Um, I feel like it's a bit of a checkbox versus an employer being fully open to understanding what our access needs are. Um, And in my experience, I've often found that whenever I came to a physical interview, that regardless of what I'd said or my education level, they were always just going to pick the non-disabled candidate that was against me because they were the easier option. Yeah, and that happens far, far too often and there are so many misconceptions around sort of the ability and the productivity and all of that of disabled candidates but I just wanted to pick up on something because it's a big thing um, widely in the UK we talk about the social model of disability Um, and I don't know if that's something that is applied in Australia, but I've just noticed sort of as you've been talking that you're saying people with a disability as opposed to disabled people. And what I have absolutely no issue with it, but I'm so interested if Australia has a distinction around that 
language in the same way that the UK does. They cert- we certainly used to. Um, in one of my very first jobs about 10 years ago, I had a non-disabled person bring me into their office and say, you've got to stop saying that you're disabled. You're a person with a disability. And I was quite shocked by that because I just sort of thought, don't I have the right to refer to myself the way I wish? Mm. Now, thank- thankfully, things have moved on a bit now and the terms are sort of interchangeable so I guess it's just my old um, training when I was in that organization to make sure I always said person with a disability first Um, but yes you can you can say disabled person or person with a disability either is fine. I think that's so interesting because I grew up in the states and the language that we use there is sort of more similar you know the terms are interchangeable and I was just actually in the states last week for um, a visit with family and the word handicap is still being used there and I sort of had to remind myself okay Emma you're not in the UK you're also not at your workplace where language is super duper important but it's so interesting the what you said there about how you choose to describe yourself. And I think that that's a really important point because I don't think anyone really has the right to tell you how you should be talking about yourself. But I, I've definitely had people comment on pieces that I've written or, you know, message me after I've described myself as a person with a disability sort of clapping back at me almost um so it's 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 a delicate point i understand people's preferences but i i agree with you that it is it is your choice how you describe yourself yeah and i guess that's why i sort of interchange with the terms because i want to make sure whoever's listening feels comfortable and i don't alienate them to the best of my ability but in saying that I'm not perfect and I'm sure that often I say the wrong thing, but I'm always here to um, educate myself as well. I want to talk about disability in Australia generally because it's not a country that I know that much about in terms of the disability rights movement. And you've sort of mentioned how previously language was thought of to be this way now things have changed a bit but how do you overall feel as a disabled person in Australia in terms of like recognition of disability and your rights as a disabled person that's a big question Emma um look sorry no I love a big question uh I, I guess I would say overall it's improving and I think that's coming down to the fact that People with disabilities are becoming more visible. We're able to utilise our voice more and we're able to educate non-disabled people more effectively. But in saying that, we are very behind in other parts of the world. Accessibility here can be quite tricky. Um, And certainly when I went to the UK over 10 years ago, I was astounded by how much thought there was in regards to the disabled person. Um, Back 10 years ago here in Australia, 
and still now often we are not thought of or considered and probably me being a positive person I often think that it's not vindictive it's just a lack of awareness but you know maybe that's just my naivety but um, I always think that hopefully with more and more education people will be more aware and more willing to change things but yeah, for example, like I was just blown away that all your black cabs at the time at least were accessible, um, whereas here transport is a lot more difficult. That's so interesting to me because what initially when you said that, I thought, oh, my God, really? Because I think so often disabled people in the UK feel that we aren't listened to, that our rights aren't always fulfilled and i i do agree that the black cabs are an amazing example of how you can make things accessible but it's it's so fascinating to me to hear that you think that the uk is possibly better or a bit further along than australia and yeah i'm sure disabled people in the uk are thinking my gosh, wow. Um, but I want to sort of look at as well how you feel that you're treated by the public, sort of like when you go out and about, because I think physical access is one thing, but I think public attitudes and public perceptions towards disability is almost more important in a way, because I agree with your point about awareness and it's only from awareness that you can act on things whether that be sort of an attitude or from if you're designing a new building and you're aware that wheelchair users exist and you know that you need to put in a ramp but how do you feel sort of people generally treat you I'm aware that's another huge question well, first of all, I just want to say for people who are listening and maybe you disagree with me and you're thinking, God, like the UK is so far behind, I'd love to hear why that is because from my per- perception of the UK, I'd never heard of the concept of the purple pound or the purple dollar as it would be here in Australia until I heard of it in a UK context um, and it really helped me better understand how disabled people can help the economy and having that concrete example of how we help the economy and how we are actual people with money that want to go out and do things and spend our own money. Also, great initiatives. Uh, uh, You have, and I'm going to miss, the Hidden Disability Sunflower. Like that is such a great initiative that I believe started in the UK. We have it here now in Australia as well that help people who have neurodivergent brains to, you know, better interact with an environment that thinks about them and their needs. All those sorts of things, changing places, toilets started in the UK. Like, while, yes, we have them here now, that is where my context is coming from when I say the UK is so far ahead. That's really a good point. And I think, you know, if people aren't aware of the Sunflower um, Lanyard Scheme, it is a scheme that um, 
So there are lanyards that you can wear, or I'm sure there are badges and other things. But um, the one that I'm familiar with is a lanyard that you can wear, and it essentially signifies that you have an invisible disability and that you may need um, certain support in whatever venue or whatever place that you're in. And it sort of signals to staff that you may need some support. It's been a big thing um, throughout the pandemic. Um, I know that during the pandemic, people were wearing them quite a lot for supermarkets, you know, sort of either not jump the queue or to get support from a member of staff when they're shopping for their food. Um, So yeah, that is a really important scheme. And then changing places, I'm thrilled to hear is in Australia, um, because as far as I know, it's not in the US, because trust me, I looked. Um, When I was, um, like I said, when I was there last week, and again, for people who aren't aware of what those are, they're I said they're disabled toilets, but they'll have a big table for you to lay down on, or there'll be a hoist, and they're really just amazing facilities. Um, there are in some public spaces, they're not in nearly enough. Um, but I think that campaign is just fantastic and will continue to grow. So going back to your other question before I rudely interrupted you, Emma, I like as far as how I feel that I'm treated when I go out into public, for me, I really want to acknowledge my privilege in this space because, you know, my my disability is visible, so therefore people know how to interact with me from a particular standpoint. They have a level of knowledge that I can assume that they understand what a wheelchair is they can understand that I may not be able to walk. Sometimes they can be quite surprised that I can't transfer myself or use a normal accessible toilet. I need a changing places toilet. Um, but I have to say my first ever episode of the podcast before I had any questions come in, I thought, how am I going to introduce myself to my audience? And I thought I'll tell a short story And it was basically about how I was treated by a certain person when I went to the movies by myself on a really hot day and I, like, it was 40 degrees. It was absolutely boiling. And I thought, I'm not going to bother putting on any makeup or any lipstick. I'll just go like I am. I'm by myself. I don't care. Anyway, this person got in the lift with me and I got the dreaded question that many of us get is, what happened to you? And then you say, nothing happened. I was born like this. And then you get the tragedy, pity, and then you're trying to educate them and say, oh, no, it's fine. I promise, really, it's fine. But you know, when your friend is not fine and they say, oh, I'm fine, nobody believes you when you say, actually, it's really fine. So I do think, and it might be all in my own internalised perception of myself, but I really do pride myself on the way I present myself because then people really start to think, oh, she might be able to communicate with me better. She looks more like me than I associate other people with disabilities might look, for example. That's really interesting. And I never really 
thought about it in that lens, and I mean, it's something that's come up a bit on this podcast before. You know, I don't um, well, I don't know if you know Samantha Rank, but we were talking about her fashion and how she loves to express herself through fashion. And one time she was out and about and people were looking at her and she felt a bit self-conscious about it and thought it was because of her disability. And her sister said, well, maybe they're looking at you because you're wearing an amazing outfit. Um, but I think that's so interesting how you sort of use your appearance to, I don't want to say normalize yourself, but maybe that is the right word. But do you sort of feel a pressure then to do that and sort of do your makeup and look quote unquote, you know, presentable um, when you go out just to be treated somewhat normally? I think it's also an attribute to my personality. I really love clothes. Um, and that's a very common theme that happens through my podcast, particularly with people who identify as women that I've had on my podcast. Often many of us love to dress colourfully, love to dress loudly and love to give people something to look at because from my perspective, people are going to look at me anyway. So I may as well give them something that's, you know, something that I'm don't have to explain or doesn't have any sort of emotion behind it because after all you're more likely to come up and talk to someone in a positive way if you really like their shoes or their handbag or their top or whatever so I find it a really great way to break the ice that's so interesting and it's making me think about examples in my own life you know where I have worn a particular pair of boots or shoes or something and people have commented on it and it it does make you feel good and I think that's so interesting how people might be more willing or more comfortable coming up and saying oh your boots are really cool where did you get those and you get less of the oh my god what happened um questions but that's that's so interesting and I think in terms of disability in Australia generally, sort of where do you think it's going? Where do you think there is room for improvement? What would you like to see? There are so many things, and I'm sure it's very similar to over in the UK. Things like access to education, you know, we still have uh, quote-unquote special schools here in Australia, which... I'm very against. Personally, I feel very lucky that I went to mainstream school. Um, You know, the fact that how many disabled people have access to go to university if they wish to, how many people with a disability who walk out with degrees, like I did, that actually get access to the level of employment that are dictated by their qualifications? Or are we all in low-level paying jobs? And by being in those low-level paying jobs, are we expected to feel lucky that we've had that opportunity because, simply because, we have a disability? You know, there's so many things. Access to housing, you know, all, all those things that many people take for granted but really define someone's ability 
to look after themselves, have good mental health, you know, and be a contributing member of society. I couldn't agree more with all of those points. They are all issues in the UK as well. And it's it's a real point for me, you know, in terms of employment, because I've worked in employment policy um, in the UK, trying to promote the, or not promote, but to highlight the issues that particularly young disabled people face. And for exactly what you just mentioned, you know, disabled people will have degrees and they'll be, you know, incredibly amazing and incredibly intelligent people, but they're not given the employment opportunities that reflect that. Um, There's a disabled person in particular who I know and who I met when I was doing that policy work, and he had multiple degrees. He was just one of the absolute smartest people that I've met, and he was really struggling to find employment because of his disability. He actually had cerebral palsy as well, and it particularly affected his speech. Um, So he really struggled to find a job that matched his intellectual abilities. And that made me so angry because, you know, I thought I'm very lucky to be in the role that I am. And I really acknowledge that, but it made me so angry that he wasn't being given the opportunities that he quite rightly deserved. But it's interesting to hear that that's sort of happening in Australia as well. Yeah, and I mean, I would love to think that one day that disabled people don't have to just work in disability-related industries. You know, a lot of us have many talents and I was very hesitant. You know, if you had have told me, 18-year-old Peter, that I would be working in disability work, I'd be so annoyed. I'd be like, no, I have so many dreams. I have, there's so much more to Mm. me than just having a disability. I'm not going to be pigeonholed. Now, you know, I love my job. I'm very lucky to do what I do, but I hope in the future that people with disabilities are able to do whatever they wish and whatever their talent indicates that they should do. What did 18-year-old you want to do? So I actually, I've got two degrees. So I have a Bachelor of Business and Commerce and I have a Master's of Tourism and I really wanted to get into the accessible tourism space and help Australia become the accessible destination, the go-to accessible destination, communicate effectively to disabled customers in why they should travel to X, Y, and Z and help the system become more accessible. Now, yes, that's disability work, but I love tourism in general. I love to travel. So, you know, anything in the tourism space, I would have loved to have done. That's really interesting. Why did you not pursue that? Well, simply after my master's degree, I couldn't find any opportunities that fit. Um, I applied for so many, so many job titles. Um, And, you know, as you would understand, Emma, yes, it's one thing you have to be qualified for the job. It has to suit you. It has to be in a location, or maybe not now, but back in the day it had to be in a location you could 
get to and was the was the office accessible like there's no point applying to your dream job if it's got three flights of stairs to get to your desk yeah it's it's so frustrating to me that that's still an issue for disabled people sort of achieving their dream job like you said especially because if you're trying to promote access for Australia generally and make it the accessible destination that you can't do that because the workplace isn't accessible it seems so disheartening it is but I ended up just getting so frustrated with myself that I'm like fine even though being on social media is a bit out of my comfort zone I'll just start my own thing and prove to people why there needs to be certain access needs accommodated for and that's both for people with physical disabilities and other disabilities as well. So what does a typical day in your work life look like? Well this is what I love about working for myself it is I I read somewhere and this might be an Australian statistic so I apologize but uh, disabled people are 40% more likely to own their own businesses. Now, for me, that really indicates not only how much we want to succeed in life, how driven we are, how intelligent we are to do that, but also how many of us that have been forced out of mainstream work. So I love working for myself because it means that my commute is literally 10 seconds. I'm speaking to you from my podcast studio, also known as my spare room. Um, If I decide that I need to sleep in till 7 o'clock, I can. I can work later. If I decide I need to nip off and do something else, I can. If I need to rest, I can. But every day is different, and that's what I really love. You never know what's going to happen next. You never know what email or what opportunity you're going to get. It's just so exciting. I think that that's such a valuable point. And when when you said that statistic, I immediately thought, yes, it's very impressive that disabled people are their own boss, but exactly what you said, is it because they're forced out of mainstream employment situations but in terms of managing conditions I think working for yourself and now working from home has really just allowed disabled people so many more opportunities than they had when there was a culture of being in a physical office nine to five because that's it's so difficult to like you said rest if you need to or you know if your accessible transport is cancelled, you know, being able to work from home or all of those different barriers just go away. I really admire any disabled person that's still in mainstream work because I don't know how I used to do it. I don't know how mm-hmm. I had an hour commute each way that I drove myself. I'd be at my desk at 8.30, which would mean that I'd have to get up at quarter to six every day. I was exhausted. Um, It was just, it was really tough. And it's not until that you give yourself breathing space that you realize I wasn't actually at my best. And that sort of environment Mm. doesn't suit me. 
and that's okay. That's so interesting because I've had the exact same thought. Mine was probably two hours door to door um, of my commute. And now I look back on that and think, God, how? How did I do that? You know, was I just so tired that I didn't realize I was in pain or that I was not? I don't know. Just I, I look back on it and now think how needless that really was. I'm glad that I did it because it was it was an experience and a half, that's for sure. But, you know, now, why? I'm the same as you completely. I really am so proud of myself that I did it because it was really tough. Um, I was, you know, exposed to many things that I otherwise wouldn't have been, which I really value. But, you know, looking back, my mental health was pretty poor, I'd have to say. I'd constantly yeah. wait for my day off. That was just, you know, to get to the end of the week, to be able to get there. I was, you know, I used to drink more heavily because I was stressed. I ate sugar yeah. all the time, whereas now I'm a completely, completely happier, different person. Now, that doesn't mean that every day is amazing because, you know, that's not life, but it certainly suits me better as a person to work for myself. Yeah, I really, really hear that. And I see a lot of parallels to myself in there. Um, well, I want to ask you a big, but hopefully very nice question. Um, what is something that you are the most proud of? Oh, personally or professionally? Either or both. I th- I think I'm most proud of the community I've built around me. Now, that while my community online is very new, I'm very proud of the community that I've built. But also I'm really proud of the friends that I've managed to gather throughout my life. I've been very lucky. I've never really experienced bullying and I've always felt really loved by the people around me. So as far as personally, that has really helped me get through the really tough times of life because we all need a good friend occasionally. Uh, Professionally, I'm really proud that I finished my degrees because that was tough. I think online community is so important and it's something that comes up a lot when I talk to disabled people, but particularly disabled influencers and social media personalities because it's just invaluable the support that you get from other disabled people online or the feeling when a non-disabled person will get in touch and say that they've learned something because of something that you've posted or something that you've written and shared because it just really makes you feel like you've done what you set out to do. I don't know if that resonates with you. Completely, yeah. So a less positive question, but I think one that's super important to ask, what would you say is the hardest barrier that you've had to overcome? Oh, I think at the moment for me, it's probably my thin skin. I really wish I was a lot tougher in my own um, 
ability to voice my opinions and to have feedback that don't agree with my opinions. Now, I'll put a caveat with that and say it depends on who the opinion is coming from. I'm talking about the strangers on the internet that don't know who I am and I don't know who they are. It's very different if it's from that it, if it's constructive or it's from an expert or it's somebody on my podcast with a different lived experience that's educating me in an open and friendly way. But I really, really struggle to voice my opinion because I don't instantly assume that my opinion is correct. So I really wish I was more forthright in who and how I think. That's really interesting. And where do you think that comes from that sort of lack of confidence almost? I wouldn't say it's lack of confidence because I'm a pretty Mm. confident person. I think it's just the way I've been brought up. Like I'm an only child, so I've never really had to deal with conflict. So it's it's not my strength. That's interesting. And so interesting as well that, you know, your job is now all online and I think you know we all who are disabled people online who particularly who are advocates and activists online have received some you know horrible comments from people saying that we're wrong or we're lucky to be x y and z and you know all of those horrible things but I think it's really interesting when you talk about the source of that negative feedback given that your career is online so you're sort of opening yourself up to those trolls if you like um and it doesn't I I don't know about you but when I get those types of negative comments as much as I think well they're just some person sat on their phone at home you know I don't know them they don't matter but it does hurt when you know people are negative towards something that you've said or that you've done I don't know if that sort of relates to you at all I wish I could say it was like a water off a duck's back but it's really not with me I overthink I mean like for example I I commented publicly on somebody's post yesterday and it was just a really nice comment saying welcome to the disability community congratulations, you know, you may not be ready, but the community is really empowering and supportive. And I instantly got so many comments saying, how dare you assume that she uh, um, refers to herself as disabled or, you know, all those sorts of things, that instant thing of disability is a negative in other people's eyes. And I find those sort of comments really confronting because how do you change somebody's mind when they when they think like that nobody I don't think has ever changed their minds in the comment section on the internet it certainly seems that way it's sort of you could go back with the best of comments saying like look I'm disabled I really take a lot of value in that bit of my identity and in the community and all of that good stuff but Other people, like you say, have this idea that disability is wholly negative and that there can't be anything good about it because, oh, well, 
you can't walk up a flight of stairs. Well, really, what does that mean? You know, yes, it's annoying when there are no other options to get up to the other floor, but it's not the tragedy that I think a lot of people assume it to be. And, ha- like, from my perspective, can you imagine if we actually thought that our lives were tragic? Like, what's the point? For many of us, we didn't get it. You know, none of us choose to have a disability. This is the thing. It's not like we all put our hands up and said, yes, we'll be disabled. Now, don't get me wrong. I really am proud that I'm a disabled woman. But, you know, I just think there's no point trying to argue with people when when you're basically just talking to a brick wall. I I find it really, really frustrating and many disabled advocates that I know constantly say Peter you need to you need to be more out there and I'm just still trying to figure out what that means for me. What advice would you give yourself on how to get there? So if you if it was a friend who was saying that to you as to how they felt what advice would you give to them? Well, in my own head with how I'm rationalising it at the moment and it may change, for me, I am I will always refer other people to people that are confident in their opinions and their perspectives And because I say, look, I have many strengths. Put me on a podcast and chat with people and get to know them and to help people better understand what disability is, I'm your girl. If you need fashion advice on how to make clothing successful, I'm your girl. If you need tourism advice, I'm your girl. But it's actually okay to not be everything to everyone. You know, I think there's too much pressure on disabled people by default to be that outspoken voice because, yes, while it's needed, completely needed, not all of us are suited to that. That's really important, and I think, you know, it's something that I talked about in a previous episode. It's not up at the time that we're talking now, but it will be, and we talk about the idea of being this perfect disabled person and that you have to be good at all things, particularly all things disability-related all of the time, and you have to be positive about it all of the time and just how unrealistic that is but there's that sort of internal pressure I think sometimes particularly when it's people like you and I who you know are visible in the community we have made our careers out of being you know big not I don't want to say big because I'm by no means big and the disabled community but you know trying to grow a platform and be an advocate for disabled people but I think it's so valuable what you said about like look these are the things that I'm good at these are the things that I'm not and that's okay yeah and that's where I say that while I may not seem confident to some people I'm very confident in what I'm good at and I'm also I also know what I'm not good at And like any good business person, you just, you give people tasks that you're not good at. That's why there's more than one person in a business. The founder of the business may be a really bad CEO or can't use accounting software. And that's okay. There's, There's many people 
that can help the disability movement. That's so, so important. And it makes so much sense when you put it in the context of a business that, well, there's a reason why you have a marketing department and an HR department because they can't just easily switch. So it's the same thing within disability. So I want to ask you, what advice would you give to your younger self? I would tell younger me to take a breath um, and to not worry if things aren't working out the way you thought that they were going to because you can't plan life. As much as I'm a control freak then and I'm still a control freak sitting talking to you today, that is not how life happens. But I would like to say to her that things work out in the end or at least they've worked out so far. So it's not what we expected, but it's okay. Gosh, I really hear that. And I wish I could tell 15-year-old Emma that as well when everything really changed for her. And I think that that's so important for everyone, let alone, you know, disabled people who might have conditions that change or progress and all of that good stuff. Um, so my last question is, what advice would you give other people like you? Other disabled people? Yeah. I would... It's, I find it really difficult to generalise those sort of statements because I'm sitting here as a very privileged white woman who's had a good education and, you know, a loving family. And I take that elements with me every day and I want to acknowledge that not everybody has had the same opportunities that I've had because it's really given me a hand up in life. But... What I would say is, regardless of your situation, I hope that you can like yourself or even love yourself because if you're not enjoying life and loving yourself, what's the point? It's your life. We've only got one, so we may as well make the most of it. I really love that. and I can't think of a more positive note to wrap this up on but I just want to say a huge huge thank you for coming on the wheelchair activist and sharing your experiences with me I found it so so interesting so just thank you so much oh thanks Emma it's been delight and before we go can you tell people where they can find your podcast Sure. So it's called the I Can't Stand podcast. It's on Apple, Google, and Spotify. And you can find me on Instagram. My handle is at Peter Hook, P-E-T-A-H-O-O-K-E. Amazing. Thank you so much. Before you go, I want to remind you that we do have a GoFundMe set up for this podcast. We are 100% committed to accessibility here at The Wheelchair Activist and we want to make sure that every bit of content is inclusive and accessible to all. Every donation allows us to continue doing this work which includes captioning each and every episode and making it available on YouTube. 
Thank you so, so much to everyone who has donated so far and has allowed us to continue making this amazing podcast. Please give this podcast a share far and wide so everyone can enjoy the amazing content. This podcast has been hosted by me, Emma Vogelman, produced by me and Isabel Anderson, and edited by Joe Tapper. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to see you in the next one.